0: Hey gang, welcome back to Barn Banter with Cowboy Andy, the podcast for children's musicians by a children's musician. That's me. And today we're talking about, well, what are we talking about? We're talking about gigs and we're talking about promotion. We're talking about brand and we're talking about marketing and we're talking about Getting help with that. Now, of course, there's other episodes where we'll talk about the do-it-yourself aspect of it. But what if sometimes you don't want to do it yourself? What if what if maybe you want to get to the next level? And to do that, you need to hire professional help. Professional help is always important. Hey, if you don't know how to do it, find somebody who does and see if they can help you. And so... To the barn, I decided to invite someone to talk to us about that, and I'm going to ask some questions because I honestly don't know hardly anything about this, except that it seems to work for a certain type of musician. Ah, so today, i like to welcome Sarah McCarthy from Dandelion Artists to the Barn. Hello, Sarah, how are you?
1: I'm great, Andy. Thanks so much for having me. This is fun.
0: Oh, cool! Thank you for thank you for accepting the uh, the offer to to come aboard and tell us a little bit about what you do. So, I think the the first thing that I need for my education is kind of an overview of the vernacular. What what are we talking about? What what are the right <laughs> industry terms to use for? what you do and what does that mean for a children's musician?
1: Okay. Well, so I, there, this is a good place to start, I think, because there are, you know, different roles that people take on, um, depending on the situation. I am really a booking agent and that's the title that I use for myself. Um, you know, I, I really wouldn't describe myself as a manager, um, Because I am mostly, um, filling my, you know, my, my main concern is really about booking live performance dates, um, for my band. So, you know, I, I don't really have any influence over like, you know, what's going to be the focus of the next album or what is the, you know, mission of your organization or your band, or, you know, I, I, um, I definitely offer my opinions to my to the artists that I represent sometimes, but um, in terms of my job, um, I really focus on getting live performance dates okay. for my artists and handling that. And then the other thing, you know, that is sort of a job description that I don't really fill is a tour manager. So tour managing with, you know, in terms of like coordinating flights and travel logistics, um, that, that kind of stuff is, is not also not something that I spend my time on. Um, I did that a little bit at the beginning and it, um, it got really complicated since I'm not on the road with my bands, Mm. um, that that is something that for, for me and for my clients that they, um are better at doing themselves
0: because it's their schedule and they just need to know when to show up where, and then they have to get there.
1: Exactly. So, so I work really closely with my bands to find, um, performance opportunities that are a good fit for them. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then, um, and I, I negotiate with the performance venue. I, uh, Put it all down in a contract. I get the contract signed and and kind of establish what the what the terms are and the the deliverables. I guess mm-hmm. um, in terms of you know what is the venue going to provide, and then I pass that information on you know as clearly as possible to the artists who then would advance the show and do the show that way. Okay. And then I spend my time not working on travel logistics but um, trying to book the next. Show,
0: okay, cool. That yeah. is a, that's a perfect overview. And what I'd like to do is, with your with your permission, let's. I'm going to break down each of these and ask questions about probably every every aspect of it. Does that sound like a good way to start here? Yeah, sure. Okay, cool. So, so you are a booking agent, not a manager. So, and the manager, in my mind, has always been like the day to day type things. They make sure that the band kind of stays a cohesive creative element to to a certain extent make sure that they're happy healthy they get to the gig they do the gig they leave the gig is that what you'd say kind of falls into the managers purview
1: yeah i think you know i think there are other managers that i know too who are you know thinking more in terms of like the overall strategy of the of the band you know in terms of um Like, you know, what are the goals for the band that year? You know, a a manager might be looking toward, you know, campaigning for Grammy nominations or do, you know, like doing other things that fall outside of the scope of just booking live dates. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, most of the the, one of the things that I really do feel like is that I, I most of the the artists that I see out there in children's music do do a pretty good job of managing themselves you know there's a real strong sense of purpose and mission about what they're trying to do and about the the way to go about that now the music industry keeps shifting so like that's sort of a whole other podcast i suppose but yeah a manager i think takes a more holistic view mm-hmm. of the the band and the right. music and i would say that i'm i'm just one important part of that puzzle
0: what about a publicist? What what is a publicist?
1: So a publicist is the person who is, um, you know, getting getting your work out to the press um, and trying to find placement for you in articles and and blogs and other publications, maybe to promote a new album or a new project. Or to promote upcoming tour dates, that's what a, a publicist does,
0: okay. and that's
1: that's a completely different set of contacts than the contacts in my
0: rolodex. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, I can t- I could totally see. see um, sometimes it feels like it's all the same because when like I release an album, it's like oh, I send it to a venue and I talk to their stage crew. And I talk to the owner and I get the, con- and it's like, you're, you're kind of doing everything if it's a, sp- and, but to actually break them out into different responsibilities, I think makes more sense <laughs> if possible, yeah. you know.
1: They're definitely different skills. Mm-hmm. For sure. Even if you're all, even if you're doing them all yourself.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: They're definitely different skills for sure.
0: When you said the word advance, I've in my mind, a huh. specific definition. What's your, what's the industry definition? I'm going to defer to you as the, <laughs> the, the, you know, you're the, you're the industry. All right. <laughs> Hope oh you don't mind. God. Nothing personal, but you're, you're <laughs> the industry.
1: So, um, when I say advance, it, it means to go over all of the details for the performance in advance. So it's a, it's that con- it's that phone call or that email exchange that takes place a few weeks before the show that just confirms all the details the production schedule the technical requirements the hospitality issues the where do i park um who's my day of show contact person all of that is the are the advanced details
0: and isn't um, that that's the uh, the writer is part of that isn't it is that yeah
1: the, so the technical writer is a big part of that and the technical writer in in our experience we at dandelion always attached the technical writer as an attachment to the contract mm-hmm. but you know the technical writer won't have the production schedule in it right the technical writer might say that we request a one-hour sound check but the advance would say all right you're going to load in at 8 30 uh with sound check at nine and the show's at 11 mm-hmm. you know so that's that's where the advance is is using the tools that are in the contract, like the number of shows and the length of the performance, and all of that stuff would be detailed in the contract. But then the advance, you know, is uh, filling in all of the logistics around that.
0: So you and in in your role basically, then you've got your file folder, your digital file folder, with each of your clients who are the performers. That you have basically, oh, okay, so for and if you don't mind, we can jump into yeah. a little bit of your catalog. For instance, uh Rhesus Monkey. Oh yes, well I know these guys. Three people on stage. We need to have three mics, we need to have this kind of amp, we need to have uh for we need this kind of amp for the bass or similar and, and you you basically you spell all that out for the venue ahead of time saying these are just the requirements.
1: Yeah. Yeah, all of that kind of stuff is in the rider. Mm-hmm. Jack and has, you know, put together that rider in advance. And so he's spelled out the, you know, the make and model of his preferred base amp. And then it also says, you know, or similar. And that way, then the technical director can, you know, write back at some point to him or during during the advance, then he says, well, we don't have this kind of amp, but we have this one. Is that is that cool? Mm-hmm. And then and then he'll say sure or whatever and that that's the, the the kind of the the information that gets it all started and the nice part is that with me and and my part of this job is that I've already gotten the venue to agree to everything in the rider much earlier at the time the contract was signed mm. so you know so they've they've agreed to do that and if if something has come up and they're like well we need you know, we can't provide X, Y, or Z, then hopefully that's something that I've already tackled at the time of contract signing, mm-hmm. you know, so that by the time the show rolls around, there aren't too many surprises.
0: Right. And just as a, uh, one more term, that's common in this situation. If, if a venue is using a backline or we will provide the backline, that yeah. basically means they're providing their, uh, their gear. And it usually is, it might be, although you need to figure this out, it might be a drum kit. Likely it's guitar amps and bass amps and sometimes a keyboard and keyboard amps. So the backline is the gear that the venue will provide for a performance.
1: Well, yeah. And I think that's one of those terms where there is confusion sometimes. Because sometimes people, when they're referring to backline, they mean like the PA system. Mm. mics and monitors and speakers and cables. Oh. And that in some sense is referred to as backline.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My use of the word backline always refers to amps and instruments that the venue will provide. And, and that's sort of been my experience when I was both when I was a presenter and, and now as an agent is, but, but I'm careful about that because some venues use the word backline to mean PA system. And so we take pains to spell out the backline, like bass amps and drum kits, very specifically in the contract.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. Because you don't want to show up at, and I think, not picking on them, but I think like Wolf Trap in the woods, uh, their definition of backline is PA.
1: Right. They don't, right.
0: <laughs> and that's a And that's a big venue to kind of do, you know, hand claps and you know, mouth noises to try and fill an hour set. You could do it. You could do an acapella thing there. But if you don't, if that's not your thing, you probably want to bring an amp. <laughs>
1: right. I mean, they, yeah, they've got the PA system, um, you know, and, and then there's a question too, well, can your you know, can you just plug into a DI? Like the DI might be part of their back line.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Then, you
1: know, if you really do need an amp or if you do need a drum kit, then Wolf Trap is the perfect example where you're gonna to have to provide that on your own. Some some venues may be willing to rent that stuff for you, um, and then but they would probably charge it back.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, that would come off the top.
1: You know, so that's another option sometimes that 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 we've done.
0: Oh, right on. Okay, so we I think we've done a good job so far. We've identified what you, Sarah, do at Dandelion artists. Although, but I want to talk. I want to talk much more about that. But I just want to kind of clarify and get us up to speed. Uh You are a booking agent, not a publicist. Don't talk to the media directly to try and promote. Not a tour manager. Your your bands, uh, your clients have to get to the gig and get home on their own. But you do handle the contracts. You do handle the writer and the advance and all of those things leading up to the securing the gig basically so that your clients the, the bands that you manage in this way know where to go what they can expect and then basically just have to show up and perform is that your goal
1: yeah i i would say that is my my goal and and i would say that i tend to think about those other tasks you know and how a, you know, a set of dates might fit into a publicity campaign, right? Or, and I spend a lot of my time on Google Maps, checking the driving distance from one venue to another oh, sure. <laughs> to, to factor in those tour logistics. Mm. But ultimately, I'm not, as you say, I'm not responsible for those logistics. I really focus on having a network of contacts um, at the venue's that I work with a- across the country to try to pitch my artists for shows for their family programming season or festival or whatever. And then I also field inquiries from all sorts of places, you know, fans of the group that want to bring them out for a show.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think you and I ran into each other a couple of years ago. I was trying to organize a kind of a kids' fest here in Western Montana. And I was just trying to. I was going to try and find sponsors and set it up, but but it was a matter of like, well, how do I get people here? And I think that's when you and I first crossed paths, because Rhesus monkey is only five hundred miles away, which in relative terms, like living in Montana, that's just next door. Heck, that's just a day's drive. So you should do that, you know. And um, I remember then it was like, oh, I kind of I started to to get a, a an appreciation for uh, what you do in in how you were like talking to me about this possibility. It's like, oh, well, do you have the dates? It's like, uh, no. It's like, well, you kind of need to have the dates before we can really, you know, talk. So it's, oh, yeah, okay. That's, that's a good thing.
1: It's all, every, every, everyone is a puzzle. I feel like every date is its own, it is a puzzle of how to, how to make it work. Mm-hmm. Some are easier than others. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, so let's jump into if you could into you and um I went to your website, I've been there a few times. I looked through who your clients are. You've been in, you've been doing this it says for about 6 years or so now. Yeah. And where did you come from? How did you get into this?
1: Oh, I um I came into it as a as a presenter. I have a performing arts background. When I moved to Los Angeles, I started working with the LA County Arts Commission at the Ford Amphitheater there in Hollywood, which is a this really cool old amphitheater across from the Hollywood Bowl. And um, I we had a, a family series there. And I started, you know, my my boss, the, the production or the general manager at the time um, had sort of tasked me with trying to find some cool shows for the, for the kids series. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing that. I mean, I was like 22 when I started working on that kind of stuff. And, you know, so it was like way before I had kids or anything, but I had, I had been involved with the international children's theater festival in Philadelphia and um, had seen some other like really groundbreaking work for young audiences and, and found that I felt like it was a really fertile, creative space at that time, like making work for kids. And so I started by programming that series. And then I moved on. I started working at the Getty Museum in Los Angeles in like 2003. And that was where I really started focusing in on children's music because we had this kids concert series on the lawn in the garden Mm. at Getty.
0: Did you have to take the train every day? I did. How fun.
1: I did. Unless there, there is a secret parking lot at the top of the hill at the Getty center Uh that either you have to be like management level to get a spot up there. Or if you carpool, They would, and sometimes you'd have to carpool with like two other coworkers, but if you carpooled, they had a certain number of carpool spots at the top of the Getty, and then you could avoid taking the tram
0: But if you're a band, you're like bringing in your, you know, the symphony is coming to play for the uh, the kids on the lawn. They don't have to take this around.
1: Then you come up to the top of the hill. That was part (laughs) of what I, and it's, and the Getty is full of acronyms. And so it was T-O-H for top of the hill. So everything was like T-O-H this and T-O-H that. Man, the Getty was, was such a great job. And it was really like, it, it was this dream job that I had where I was in the performing arts department there and worked on all kinds of stuff, um, different kinds of programming. But the kids concert series was something that I adopted right away. So I, I booked that series for 10 years and we did concerts every summer on the lawn. And that's where I kind of dug in and got to know a lot of the artists across the country in the children's music world because the Getty also had the resources to be able to like fly bands out. Mm -hmm. Life was good in 2003. Oh, yeah. There was money to spend and we were able to bring out, you know, some really exciting work.
0: Well, that was a really cool time in children's music too because you had... You had people like Justin Roberts who were just kind of just coming on the scene and the whole thing was just starting to kind of blossom and get attention.
1: It was. And so that was really fun too. Um, You know, and it, and it was a beautiful venue to be able to produce children's music in, you know, and when you've got a thousand people, kids and families dancing on the grass in the summer to Justin Roberts, Mm. it's kind of like, you know, a small version of world peace, right? You're just, Mm -hmm you're there in this really beautiful moment with with kids and and parents enjoying their time together. So producing all of those shows I, you know gave me the experience of just understanding really what the power of children's music is. And that's what I feel like I carry with me mm. today is really being able to create those opportunities now more and more across the country
0: well right on so with dandelion today you ended up in oregon and and then you yeah. opened up shop i was looking at your roster it's like the okie dokie brothers and jazzy ash justin roberts uh do you are you still doing uh, some shows for secret Agent 23 skidoo oh yeah. yeah
1: yeah he's yeah he's um he's definitely still on my roster sony los santos mm. he's mm-hmm. on my roster yoga palooza um, it's a group that I'm really proud of. We're all really good friends. Oh, cool! Working together, yeah. It's 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 a really cool roster.
0: Oh, right on! Yeah. So, and then from the and this is where so and and, I, and I'm sure that you can appreciate this from a children's musicians from from this side of the mic as the performer. Yeah. There's some questions that I have that you don't have to answer, but. <laughs> part of it is part of it is i think there's some industry standards and i'm talking about financials basically which is oh so you have a gig coming up and you have a booking agent to kind uh-huh. of kind of lines this up for you is contractually with with your clients how does that work or do you feel can you can you talk about that and i don't mean like yeah. specifics but just in general how does this work and is what you do is it an industry standard
1: Well, I think the, you know, industry standard for performing arts is, is a, you know, is, is a moving target, Mm -hmm. right? There, there is so much variation, variation on what um, certain people, you know, provide for their artists and, you know, industry standard kind of, you know, breaks down pretty quick based on you know, exactly what people are doing and and I just find like everybody's different. For for me, I have a, a flat commission setup mm-hmm. uh with agreement with my artists. But you know, even even commission rates vary widely, you know, across the board for, you know, and I, I'm good friends with a lot of other agents out there. And, you know, the commissions can range from 10% to 20%. The 20%ers are often doing more of the tour management, although Mm. not always, you know, a lot of people are doing, doing 20% without doing tour management. You know, a lot of agents also charge back conference expenses, or marketing expenses, um, or management fees. It it really depends on the agent and how they've structured their own business. Mm. So there's not a real standard. I think it comes down to having really good communication and sort of expectations between the artist and the agent. I always try to, when I bring on a new artist, I, I try to make sure that the the work that I'm getting for them is, is adding to what they've already been able to book for themselves. Right. Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, so, so maybe what we're doing is we're increasing the fee quote by 20% um, to help offset my part of the equation, right? Oh, um, yeah, and you know, and and that's part of the development of of bringing on a new client. But I would say that most people are doing a commission structure or a commission plus expenses mm-hmm. kind of structure. And there's a lot of expenses that I think sometimes people don't see in terms of not just maintaining a website and and stuff like that but there is a whole network of booking conferences that I travel to and that that many other agents travel to uh, you know during the year i usually hit about 6 or 7 conferences a year
0: mm-hmm.
1: that range in in expense um so that you know that might include usually includes buying a booth in the expo hall and printing materials and you know, traveling to cities for four or five days to be there to to meet with presenters in that region.
0: Right. And this is, uh, this is uh, interesting. I want to kind of get back to the discussion about financials, but this is something that I know a little bit about. There are these industry showcases. Yes. And when I say I know about them, it means I've heard about them and thought, geez, I should try and go to one of these, but I have no idea what I do. Sometimes they let performers <clears throat> actually get on stage they'll set up a stage if it's like a regional music showcase and you get you know 10 minutes to play three songs on off basically yeah um, your you should probably speak to this cuz you know more about it than I do but it, but in general is that kind of it's it's venues from a area all kind of come to a specific convention center and you get to like you said set up a booth is that mostly how yeah. you work it <sighs>
1: Yeah. So the agents um, set up booths in the expo hall and then the presenters make appointments with those agents to meet with them, you know, meet with us in our booths or, you know, at the bar or over a meal during the conference. And that's where, you know, we do a lot of our kind of face-to-face pitching of our artists for their next season.
0: So like Red Rock from Colorado Uh, The Red Rock Amphitheater, there's a representative from there who's like, well, I got to book the 2021, you know, showcase, so I go to these things to find talent. Is that how it works? Yeah. Huh. Was that yeah. too specific?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I've never met the person at Red Rock, actually. But we, um, but yeah, so they, you know, they'll they'll come to the conference and and we'll meet with a whole bunch of people. Now, you know, those venues already have agents and artists that they're you know looking at, but they, but it, those conferences are a great way for us to to meet face to face. I mean, this is still it is such a personal. Business, right? Um, these bookings come together based on these long-term relationships that agents and presenters and artists have with each other. You know, so there's a lot of getting to know each other and also learning what what the mission of the of that venue is. You know, it's like what are what are they trying to do? What what does their what what are the needs of the community that they're serving in their area? Mm-hmm. I really love getting to know the presenters and trying to understand, you know, who who they're trying to serve and how they're trying to right. serve those audiences. And then helping them to figure out what, which artist or which group of artists would be the best at accomplishing that from my roster. Mm-hmm.
0: So like Symphony Space in Manhattan yeah. is one of those venues where I... Because from the from the outside, it's like I wouldn't even I have no idea how to approach these folks. So if I was try so if I'm trying to put it trying to book a gig there, it's like, uh, I don't have their phone number. I don't know them. So why would they listen to me? And it's like, well, because you need to put in the time. You need to develop the relationship. And that's what you do.
1: Right. Right. And I think, you know, I I think Darren at Symphony Space is a really great example, Darren Kretz, who is, you know, one of those champions of children's music, right? He's been presenting children's music for a long time at Symphony Space. He he knows great children's music and he likes it. And so he's somebody that I think really would respond, even if you don't have if even if you've never met him or or talked to him on the phone. I mean, I think he's he's one of those people who likes to know about what are the new bands, what, you know, what are the new recordings? That are coming up, and and Darren's really committed to providing a large number of shows each year, and a, a real diversity of styles. And he does music and theater and all you know all sorts of different types of shows in his uh, the Just Kidding series. He's a real champion of the genre. Now, not everybody is that is such a. A champion of the genre, right? There's a lot of presenters out there that are still committed to their children's theater series and everything has to have a familiar title, Mm -hmm. you know? And so breaking into those series is really difficult. And that's been something, you know, I've been trying to do for six years with some success in some places and no success in other places.
0: Yeah. When it comes to presenters, if you're a pop, and it's different, I think it's different for children's musicians than it is for other genres like rock or, you know, the 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 bands that play at 10 o'clock until two in the morning?
1: There's not that many agents that really specialize in children's music. Um, there are more agents that specialize in folk, mm. right? Or that specialize in, you know, kind of mainstream Pop. contemporary right. rock and roll yeah. stuff, Pop, right? I mean... And some of those agencies have rosters with a hundred artists on them, you know, and that's that's a little bit more of the kind of commercial machine mm-hmm. of contemporary music. I think family programming is just a really different kind of model.
0: yeah. well let's let's jump into a different facet of this then. How does it work from the band standpoint if, uh, if you you break a sweat, you go out there and you say, Okay, let's, we're going to make up a, fict- a fictitious venue here. It's going to be an awesome one. It's going to be an aquarium in Arizona. Huge aquarium in Arizona, and they've got a stage. And it's like, it's a good gig. And you work really hard to uh, make inroads and connections with that. And then they say, yes, we have this performance coming up. Do you have somebody I'm making, I have no idea if this is how it works, but let's pretend this is yeah. how it works. They're like, oh, we're doing yeah. a Valentine's Day thing in the aquarium because the sea turtles are in love and it's sea turtle mating season. So we want to do something big for the kids. And you're like, oh, okay. Um, and they're like, we want the new band that you're, is in your roster, make believe band called the Cracker Jacks to play. Yeah. And you say, great. And the Cracker Jacks are like, uh, no, sorry, we're going to be on vacation. Does that happen that often?
1: <laughs> um, it it doesn't happen that often. It happens sometimes. Hopefully the Cracker Jacks have already given me their blackout dates in advance. I try to have a good ongoing conversation about like, you know, family weddings and vacations and stuff like that, you know, a good six months to a year out so that I don't get into those situations, mm-hmm. but it does, you know, it does happen. Um, but hopefully if the Cracker Jacks and I are like really working well together, they've already told me that they're going on vacation in July. And so I would be able to tell the aquarium that the Cracker Jacks aren't available, but, uh, my other amazing band, you know, the jumping Jacks are available. <laughs> and they've got a great song about dolphins. That would be perfect for the aquariums. Valentine right, Festival. Right.
0: And, and you yeah. ignore the fact that the two bands are suing each other over the name thing, but that's okay. That's a different thing. What are the expectations of your clients when you agree to work with them? Like, what do they expect from you? And you're, you're saying like blackout dates and, and that sort of thing and stay together as a band, at least for another season might be your expectations, but how, what are some of the big picture expectations that go back and forth?
1: You know, I think, um, I think that's a really good question. And I think, Expectations, I think, always have to start out in a, in a somewhat modest way. It it does take time to to build up a presence for somebody in this market, right? And I I also at Dandelion. I mean, to just be perfectly honest, I'm not taking, I, I'm not representing artists who are you know releasing their first album next month. Next month, you know, I, I, I am representing artists who've, who've been around for a while with some, you know, established fan bases and awards under their belt and, and all of that. And, 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 and I do that just because they are a better, they're a better fit for some of these larger performing arts centers where, you know, ticket sales may be a factor. The, the teachers who are are bringing their classrooms to the student matinee you know enjoy seeing the words grammy nominee mm-hmm. in front of the, in front of the band name but um even even with artists who have sort of critical buzz or or acclaim you know i think the expectations for performing arts bookings are something that i can never guarantee now what i what I can do is, you know, based on my experience, there is a certain, you know, I know when certain people book, right? And if, you know, when I go out and I target all of, you know, these folks who are looking at next season right now, but then the summertime bookings, you know, may happen from these presenters a little bit later, you know, Wolf Trap has a very kind of formalized process for booking their season. And they're a little bit earlier than some of the other presenters who are doing summer Bookings, some of whom, you know, I've booked shows two Mm -hmm. or three weeks in advance. Sometimes, Um, so it's sort of trying to trying to understand the booking timeline for people, and also just being really honest and saying, you know, they you were there two years ago, and it's probably going to be another year before they want to bring you back, or you know, this could turn into an annual thing. And and we, you know, I try to do my best to, to, you know, give my artists a sense of how I feel like things are coming together. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, and and I really do my best in terms of being able to to talk about them in the right way with presenters to get them really excited and, and to make presenters, you know, know why I feel these artists are relevant right now. Why should they have them on their series next season? And I've got reasons why i think they should have those artists on their season next year ultimately i'm not able to make that decision for the presenter to book the artist so you know for me it's it comes Mm -hmm. down to communication and there are good years and there are off years too uh it's never like a steady stable thing which is sort of a bummer right like i wish that i could just say hey we're going to book you another 50 gigs this year. Um, It just doesn't usually, you know, it's not that predictable.
0: Right. And and I think that's when I was looking at the number of venues that are out there, that they are kind of limited, especially in the family-friendly thing. There are a lot of places to play. There are fewer places to play that are willing to cover the costs associated with flying across the country and starting you know an anchor gig to start a tour or something it's like well there's really not as many of those as there are opportunities to play you know at libraries or at in at the parks and rec series or or something like that
1: exactly exactly
0: how does it work when one of your well and just to go back just for a second you have the benefit and I'm only going to assume it's because um you're smart and you figured it out, your clients are all kind of different. So your catalog, your stable of of um, uh, product, as far as like what they are, it's you have a wide range of folks to to choose. So you can go, so you can look at a different venue and say, well, look, and you can lay the cards out and say, well, you could get jazz or you could get uh, hip hop here or you've got you know kind of a folky thing here, you know? And so you have a lot of options just right out of the gate that are not... Super similar to each other, except they're all very family friendly and successful.
1: That's intentional. I mean, it's if a presenter is only going to book one of my artists for their family series, and there's a question of like which one, it's much stronger for me to have artists that are very different because they're. They make, they make sense to bring certain in artists in at different times, right? If they've got a different, you know, a specific initiative or something, then it makes sense to bring out one artist. The other way that I kind of think about it is that my roster is so diverse that I could have a great relationship with a presenter and they could book one music act a year for their family series from my roster and we could work together for seven years and they could just work through my roster, booking a different band every year, Mm -hmm. and their audiences would feel like it's a fresh new season every year, right? It doesn't feel repetitious at all, and it's not. But from a booking perspective, the presenter knows that it's a piece of cake. It's like, oh yeah, we're going to, you know, let's pick another person off of the Dandelion roster. And, you know, we've worked well together. We've got a good relationship and that makes it really easy for both of us so those are kind of the best situations
0: this got me thinking about what might happen if uh several of the folks who uh sarah represents felt like they wanted to book one gig but someone else wants to book a gig and wait is there any kind of weird competition or how is that handled within the booking agency huh and this was the response
1: I mean, the competition is really not an issue. And I've had the competition question, you know, conversation with artists on my roster. And it's like, well, who do you think we're in competition with? And the the first thing I say is that you're not in competition with other children's music artists. You're in competition with the production of the Velveteen Rabbit and the Very Hungry Caterpillar and the Peking Acrobats, mm-hmm. right? Those are the other acts that are right. going on to these family series that we're in competition with. <laughs>
0: You're in competition with Frozen Junior, right? Not, and and know.
1: how do you you know can your can your show fill a place in that family series with a bunch of children's theater shows that have recognizable titles and spectacle shows? And if, if you if you can, and I think children's music can, if your show is is polished enough and your your message is there your mission is specific, uh, you know, with like, what, you know, what, what are you really singing about? I think children's music can definitely hold their, hold its own on those stages. And in fact, I think children's music half the time is way more interactive than a children's theater show is anyway. That's part of what I talk to presenters about when I talk about competition among children's music artists too. I, you know, I, I think it's a really cooperative community and it should continue to be. Mm -hmm. Besides, I think collaboration among children's music artists is one of, you know, the really exciting things that I've seen happen over the years, too.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. What happens if one of your clients books a gig on their own uh, from a contractual relationship? If they're like... Oh, we're just going to go play this free show or we're going to play the show for 300 bucks because we like the cause. Do your are your clients allowed to do that or or does everything have to go through you?
1: We have sort of defined how they do that. If my if my clients are going to donate a show to a charitable cause, that's great and they just have to let me know, you know, when and where that is because it it can have an impact on other shows that I'm trying to book. In that area. If they're going to do a big free performance for for somebody, then, you know, it really shouldn't be booked too close to a big ticketed show in that same market that I'm booking. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the sort of coordination that I really care about. I think it's great if if, you know, performers decide to to do things for free. I also don't do birthday parties. I just hate that. i think birthday party moms are like you know and believe i've been a birthday party mom but um it's just not
0: (laughs) no wait you you personally don't do birthday parties for your children or you don't or you don't book clients for birthdays i
1: don't book clients for birthday parties (laughs) (laughs) i I, it's
0: important clarification point of order (laughs) i do
1: birthday parties for my children and that's why i don't handle them for other people
0: Um, Yeah,
1: because it's just, it's a lot of work and you get into this sort of (laughs) non-professional situation (laughs)
0: where
1: sometimes they can just be a lot of work. However, you know, if it's somebody who's like, Oh, you know, my cousin is the bass player for, you know, your band. And I really, you know, I'm wondering if they want to do this birthday party, then th- you know that's something I'll send over to the band and say, "Hey guys, if you you know if you want to do this, here's this inquiry. Go for it. That's fine." And I just you know I guess with those other types of bookings, we just are really clear about what areas are are my job and and you know what other types of bookings they would do. But but regardless, you know we always have to keep each other informed about the calendar. Mm-hmm and holds or other performances and stuff like that.
0: Sarah, I've had, this is such a fun conversation and I could keep going because it would be just fun to to keep picking your brain about this sort of stuff. But I, and I, I really only have one, one more thing that I want to talk about real quick with you. And that is you, you have your plate full, obviously. I mean, you've got these seven acts. Most of them are either Grammy winners or Grammy nominees. And I've seen, I know a lot of them and I know how much they play and where they play. And the headache and just the the uh logistics that you must go through to keep these bands working is huge, and so it's like you 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 can't have thirty band you can't have thirty clients and right. you know if you're doing it if you have i don't know maybe if you had like sixteen people working for you, you could just continually expand but God that'd be a pain wouldn't it
1: yeah it's <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, but what I'm getting to is that most of the children's musicians who are out there today will never have a booking agent because they either they're not going to be big enough to need it, or there just aren't that many booking agents out there to go around for the thousand children's bands who might want one. So, what would you suggest to? a uh, uh, children's performer, a musician out there who's who who's not going to get a booking agent but still wants to improve their odds of booking
1: i uh, that's it's very true. And I would say that to try to find a way to connect with the the places you know sort of in your own market where you play. but also if you you know if you want to do touring kind of outside of your home base is follow the bands that you admire, you know, or, or if you want to make it to the DC market, you know, where are the local bands in DC performing where, you know, and, and to try to reach out to those places, there's a lot of legwork involved with, you know, trying to find the contacts at these venues to perform at, but, But then again, um, kind of going back to the cooperative spirit of children's music, you know, I think bands that you're friends with, you know, oftentimes are, are really happy to share contacts with you, you know? So if, if there's a band that you're friends with and they played Wolf Trap last summer, and if you don't have their contact information, you know, reach out and say, would you mind sharing that information with me? Or... Or would you mind, you know, sending that per- doing an email introduction for us and saying like, hey, Wolf Trap, you know, we had a great time performing there last summer. And you know, this band is really great. And I thought I'd introduce you guys for future consideration. You know, um, those are ways that you can build your Rolodex of performing arts venues. I would also say not to get discouraged When I was a presenter and I had artists of all kinds um, reaching out to us to perform at the Getty for whatever, it was a lot to keep up with. Sometimes people would send over like these enormous media kits and and press packets that would sit on my desk and it would take me a long time to get through them. Now, I really Mm. did try to review all of those and get back to people, but sometimes it took a long time. And I would say that if you haven't heard back from a venue, you know, don't assume that it's because they aren't interested. Arts organizations, performing arts organizations are usually understaffed. You need to be a little bit squeaky in the most, you know, professional way possible. Send them another email. Say, hey, I emailed you a you know several weeks ago. I'd still love to talk to you if you have time, learn more about your series and if we're a good fit. Those sorts of ways to approach booking, I think are the most successful and really trying to work with other friends. I, you know, I've thought about this for years of like, how, you know, could there be a booking collective or something like that, where children's music artists work together? I think there's a danger. Sometimes people talk about like putting together a list of contacts. I think there's a danger (laughs) of, you know, making a list of, people's, you know, cell phone numbers and presenters, you know, information and like just posting it online could get sort of dicey. But I, you know, I wonder if there's a way maybe like the bands in Seattle have done to really work together as a collective and Mm -hmm. build awareness of children's music in there, in that area.
0: And I think, I think there's sort of, I think that's starting to take fold that sort of uh, collaborative in Portland and I think San Francisco where you have more. Uh, where, you, where you have a group of children's musicians kind of getting together and saying, Hey, let's, uh, let's establish a base rate. Let's establish some of the ground rules that we all want to work on and swap gigs if we can't make it and, and, and work, work together to, to support the local scene.
1: Yeah. I think, um, I think the other thing is, is really try not to perform for free. It does a disservice, you know, unless it's for, unless it's for a charitable cause, you know, but then again, they're kind of all charitable causes, right? Libraries and schools. I mean, these are the places that we're performing at arts organizations. They're, everybody's a nonprofit. I always laugh when somebody emails me and asks me for the nonprofit rate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I just have to respond like it's all the nonprofit rate. I mean, we are, you know, we we work almost exclusively with nonprofits. Yeah. But I think trying to emphasize that there's a value to, to children's music and children's performers so that even if the fee is a few hundred dollars, that it is worthy of an artist fee. Um, I would really be aware of the venues that say like, Oh, well, we can't pay you a fee, but you know, we'll, we'll post you online and we've got, you know, 10,000 subscribers, you know, it's like, it's, it, I, I wouldn't, I would be wary of of doing shows just for publicity like that unless it's you know well even then the you know the larger venues that can really give you a sense of publicity are going to have a budget for artist fees anyway. I think talking to fellow artists too and and kind of learning you know how to how to negotiate a deal for yourself is something that comes in time. Um some people are more comfortable with it than others
0: that's a whole other podcast, but it's a critical one too. What's your value? what's what are you going to charge? How do you stick to your guns when you put the contract out there and make that and make that go? <laughs> Maybe you'll have to come back and talk to us about right. that at some point <laughs> That would be fun. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your uh, wisdom, your experience and the suggestions. This is it was honestly it's one of those things that I was kind of intimidated about to To talk to you, not intimidated by by you specifically, but the whole concept seems so uh, kind of other level. But you've uh, but what you've shared it, it makes sense, and it seems like it's a very practical solution for acts that are trying to kind of get to that level, and maybe maybe more, maybe not more importantly, but in addition to committed to getting to that level, because it does seem to be like if you if you hire a booking agent you have to be willing to dedicate the next two or three years to getting out there and really playing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I've really enjoyed talking to you and, and hope that I took some of the mystery out of booking. It really is a, a rewarding thing for me. And, and I really feel like it's it's my purpose to help get my clients out there more. I think it, it makes the world a better place. And um, so I'm happy to help share my information with with other artists that want to do the same thing.
0: Ha! That was really cool, Sarah McCarthy from Dandelion Artists. So cool talking to her about what she does, booking different bands and acts around these great—I guess uh, maybe not even these great United States—around the world, I suspect. Ha! So. If you ever wanted to have a booking agent, you know what they will do for you now, and basically how it would work. And maybe you realize that you don't need them to uh, to get going in your career and, and get a, a broader a broader base, of bigger bigger shows, things like that. You know, disclosure time. I've I've reached out to publicists and I've reached out to booking agencies in uh, for my career, and they're always they're they're busy they're booked up solid. They just don't have the time and resources a and b I'm not quite at the level where they they can see me be a viable a viable act that they could sell on a regular basis. They never said that to me, but I kind of suspect that just because of well, you know, I don't have that many videos. I only have 3 albums and and you know, these these sorts of things. I'm I'm located in a remote area where travel would have to be part of the deal and so there's a lot of really pragmatic reasons why i i realized that i've not picked, been um, accepted by publicists and, and booking agencies and we covered some of those in this in this conversation so don't get discouraged if you send out these things and don't be afraid to reach out to publicists and booking agencies and say hey what, what what's going on and and do you want to represent me can can we make a go of this? And if they say no, then you can be like, okay, that's fine. I'm just gonna go back and listen to more of uh, Cowboy Andy barn Banter podcasts, and learn what I have to do, so that I can finally have world domination. Oh yeah, let's go! Let's sing the song about if you want to be on the podcast send me a note if you have something that you think that uh, other children's positions should hear uh, a point of view best practices tips and tricks let me know send me a note and say hey i want to come on the Bard banner and tell you what's up and i'll be like cool let's do that it'll be fun or no, That'll be fun. Okay, you'll do it. Okay, bye-bye. Ho, ho, ho. Let's sing a song about how we're all the same. How we all like snacks and cuddles. And we all like playing games. We all like to be hugged and loved. Tucked in our beds at night. Tall or small, or your girl.